you would take out the Word of God and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We continue our study through the book of 1 Samuel, the king we need. And we are marching our way to the king we need. We'll look at the rest of chapter 2 beginning in verse 11 through verse 2 of chapter 3. So if you're a Smokey and the Bandit fan, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. <laughs> but we will put the hammer down here in a moment. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. I'm going to be I'm going to read verses 18 through 21 to begin our time. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. We do this every week to remind ourselves that the Word of God is the Word of Christ. It's not as if or like God was speaking to us. He is. Every time we read or hear from the Word of God, it is the Word of Christ to us, and Jesus speaks to us, every one of us, wherever we're living in these moments, stressed, scared, anxious, happy, excited, full of hope or despair. He speaks to us in these moments from His Word and He guides us, directs us, and leads us to the cross, resurrection, and the kingdom that He's given us. Hear the Word of Christ. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make him for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition that she asked the Lord. So then they would return home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Oh God, we pray that that would be true of us, that we would grow in wisdom before you, that we would grow in the gospel, that we would grow clinging to your cross where the blood of Christ was shed so that we would be forgiven of our sins, that we would grow in clinging to his righteousness as our only hope. We can't live a righteous life and he has done so for us that we would grow clinging to the resurrection, that you raised him up from the dead and you promised to raise us up in him. God, that we would grow clinging to the kingdom that you have given to us as a gift, as grace that we look forward to in hope. God, would we grow by your spirit, your very presence in light of the gospel today. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. He pointed to what looked like a baby doll, sort of an American girl baby doll from maybe the 80s. And he did so with great pride as he began to tell us a story through a translator in Spanish. This doll had a yellow dress on it and it was covered in flowers. It was encased in glass and 
encircled in what I would describe as white Christmas tree lights. And the man began to tell us a story that was really hard to understand through a translator. And there were some missing components to the story, and he didn't even understand all of the story. But it was a story of how the Virgin Carmen appeared in the village of Cordova, Peru. And when she appeared on the side of a mountain, she left this baby doll for the village to pray to. Carmen was the patron, or is the patron saint of the village of Cordova in the Andes Mountains of Peru. And then this man, as he began to show us this church or this building that the Catholic Church had built for them in the 1800s, he walked around and began to show us different figurines, things that looked to me kind of like mannequins. Began to show us these mannequins of Jesus in different places and one of John the Baptist. And I'll never forget this tour of the church in the village of Cordova because I remember looking at these mannequins is what I call them. And I noticed that they were just mannequins that had been painted and given hair and dressed up like Jesus and like I said, one John the Baptist. And as you look close to them, you could tell that the Figures had been scratched up and had been marked. They, would, they bring these figures out several times during the year as they celebrate uh, their different festivals. And you could tell that the mannequins had been dropped and scraped. And on one of the figures of Jesus, if you look real close, you could see that its nose had been scraped and actually busted open. And I remember seeing this and going, this is kind of weird and, you know, don't, shouldn't they take better care of their Jesus? But I noticed something that has stuck in my mind ever since is that the figure was hollow on the inside. There was, there was nothing there. And it was fitting for this place of worship that the village has. Because it's full of all kinds of stuff, full of all kinds of what we would call relics, where, where people come several times of the year and they give their money and they give their crops and they, they give their prayers over to these things, praying that God would bless their crops and bless their life, and yet it's really all hollow. There's no one there. It's an empty religion. And it's the same thing that we find when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 2, as we've already talked some about the worship in the temple. And, and we're beginning to see just how hollow the worship was for the people of Israel. Remember, this was a time after the judges where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. It's sort of a free-for-all when it comes to sin. And the people of Israel would sin and they would get involved in idolatry and then God would send their enemies in to judge them and then God would raise up a deliverer to rescue them. And that cycle in the book of Judges just continues over and over and over. And there's the realization that we need more than a judge. We need a king. We need a king that God would give us. And yet, Israel at this time is involved in hollow 
empty worship. The priest of Israel, they don't even understand what worship is. Remember Hannah when she comes to the temple and she is praying for a child. Eli looks upon her and says, are you drunk? What are you doing? He doesn't even understand what genuine worship is. And as we get into chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, we see this description. Notice verse 12. The sons of Eli, Eli was the high priest, notice they were worthless men. Now the word for worthless there means empty. They were empty men. They were useless men. They were worthless priests. They were given a task to do, but it was empty. They didn't even understand what they were supposed to be doing. And notice why, verse 12, they did not know the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. The priest of the Lord, as we talked about earlier, who was to stand before the people of God, offer sacrifices so that the people could have fellowship with a holy God, they, he doesn't even know the Lord doesn't even understand the Lord, has no regard for the Lord. And so they are described here as worthless, useless men, useless priests. And in verses 13 through 16, we see why they are stealing from the Lord. Many of the sacrifices that the people of God would bring to God, the meat that they offered was to be divided up in three ways. The priest was actually given some of the meat. And the worshiper and the, the worshiper's family was given some of the meat. And then the feet, meat from the sacrifice, the, the fat on the meat was burned as an offering to the Lord. And what Eli's sons, they are so wicked. They, they, they don't know the Lord to the extent that they are stealing all of the meat for themselves. So the worshipers are coming, they're offering the meat, and then they send in little minions to take it all and steal it from the people. They are so worthless that they are stealing from the people of God and from God Himself. And they are robbing God and His people of the fellowship that He had designed for them. They are worthless. They can't even do their job. They are wicked. They don't even understand their job. And they are hoarding to themselves the sacrifices of God. So notice verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was great. It was very great. There is emphasis here. It is mega great in the sight or presence of God. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And so they are empty, worthless, useless priests. And then they treat the offering of the Lord as useless and empty. The word contempt means empty or useless. They are useless men with a useless offering. They are worthless. But notice as we read earlier, there is one named Samuel. And what's he doing in the presence of the Lord? As we read earlier, he is ministering or serving in the presence of the Lord. He's not useless. And as we read earlier, his mother has dressed him up like a little priest. And once a year, when her family comes to offer the sacrifices to the Lord, she brings him another robe, a linen robe. And here you have this prophet of God that we'll see, dressed up like a priest, serving in the temple of God. And notice the text says he has an ephod on, a little vest. And on the vest would have been 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And so as you have worthless, useless priests, 
Behind the scenes, the story takes us to a little prophet priest who gives us hope. And also the description of Hannah who has given this one over to the Lord so that the people of God would be blessed. She is being blessed with more children. And notice as the text continues in verse 21, the end, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And so you have worthless, useless priest with a useless sacrifice in the presence of the Lord. And then you have the prophet priest Samuel ministering and serving who's been given over to the Lord. And what's very important is the way this word worth is used throughout. You have worthless priests, worthless offering, and yet you have Samuel who is of worth in the presence of the Lord. Hannah is a worthy servant in the presence of the Lord. Remember when she was found praying in the first chapter, she says, don't look upon me as a worthless woman. And she's not a worthless woman. She has been given a child. And what has she done with that child? She has given him totally over to the Lord, over to his service. But now we see the worthless sons of Eli who are stealing from the Lord. And here we see this priestly motif that is a good, that is good imagery for our own lives. Everything that God gives you, life, breath, and all the gifts that are given to you are to be used for the glory of God and the good of others. You want to live a life that is of worth? You want to be useful? You take this life and everything in it that is given to you and you use it for the glory of God. Meaning you wake up every morning and you say, how can I fill my life full of worth? How can I have glory in this life? Well, it is to point to God who has given me breath and he has, He's placed me in a context where I, where I live and I breathe and I want to use all of this to point to Him to show that He is full of worth, full of weight. But you want to be worthless? You use your life for yourself. The priest used their position to serve themselves. They used the offering for themselves. They used what was given to them. They were even stealing for themselves. And some of you here today are doing the same thing before God. You are a worthless priest with the life God has given you. You are a useless priest with the things of God that have been given to you. You think God exists for you. And you think your life and you think your career, and you think your leadership positions, and you think all of the resources you have are to culminate upon you. And you think others in your life, they just are props to make your life easier. And you know that's why you're so empty. You know that's why you wake up every day feeling so worthless? Because it's never enough. And you're misusing what God has given to you. And you are living a worthless, empty life. And today is the day of repentance where you say, I don't want to be useless to God anymore. I want to use it all for His kingdom. He, he, he's given me a family. He's given me resources. He, I know people. I have friends. I've been blessed with things. I want to leverage all of those to point to Him. And I want others to know Him. I want to serve their greatest good, which is they know Jesus. But the opposite of that is to steal from God, just like the sons of Eli. And notice the text continues. 
Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all of Israel. Now, that's a problem, right? He is the high priest, and he's hearing these things. He doesn't know they're going on. And he's described here as old. Samuel is described as young, growing, vibrant in the presence of God. Here, Eli is old, but notice one of the things he hears his sons doing. How they lay with women who were serving in the entrance of the tent of meeting. There were women given over to serve the temple. And here they're taking advantage of them. And they've turned the tabernacle of the Lord into a pagan temple of worship. This is pagan idolatry. This is what the Philistines did. This is what the pagans did. They saw sex with prostitutes as an act of worship. And now the priests of the Lord are doing the same thing in the temple of the Lord. And Eli, when he goes about town, he says, what? My sons are doing what in the temple? Oh, I've got to deal with this. It's gotten too far. Verse 23. And he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear of your evil dealing with all of these people. You're stealing, and now you've turned the temple into a brothel. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. What is he most concerned about? Not their sin. He is concerned about their reputation. He is concerned about his reputation. And you can't parent concerned with your reputation. And you can't raise two priests concerned about their reputation. No, you have to be concerned with the glory of the Lord, especially if you're a priest of the Lord. And one of the ironies here is we just referred to, remember Hannah praying in the temple. She is mistaken for a drunk woman, probably one of the women that his sons were taking advantage of at the temple. He mistook genuine worship for that. And also one of his sons, Phineas, is named for another priest who early, who early on killed people in the temple for doing this thing. And he's gotten so far from his namesake. We see the irony here. But notice verse 25. Notice, notice how he, his logic. This man who's overlooking the sin of his kids because he loves them and their reputation more than the Lord. He says if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. All the sin that you're doing, there's still hope if you bring an offering, if you bring sacrifice, if you repent. But if someone sins against the Lord, now he gets that right. They are sinning against the Lord. Who can intercede for him? And what he's saying to his sons is, you're just stupid. You can be forgiven of sins of men, but you, you're not going to be forgiven of what you're doing. He's still more concerned about them than the Lord, that they get off from their violating the temple of the Lord rather than that they repent. He says, there's no hope for you. Because you, he doesn't even see the connection between sinning against men and, and sinning against God. They're always related. But he says, you've gone too far. You, you, there's no atonement for you or anyone else in Israel. And that's the point. There's no atonement for you. But notice how they respond. They would not listen to the voice of their father. And notice the comparison. 
for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. The voice of their father versus the will of the Lord. And notice how this is described. It was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And that's why they wouldn't repent. Because God has allowed their heart through their sin in his presence to become so hard they can't even hear the warning. They don't even know what they're doing wrong. Remember in Hannah's song where she says the Lord kills? The Lord does kill injustice. And these men have created injustice after injustice in the presence of the Lord. And now the Lord will take their life. And He has guaranteed justice by allowing their heart to go so callous, they don't even hear what they're supposed to be doing. They can't even hear from their father. What's Pops talking about? Oh, he seems rather holier than thou today. He's trying to remind us what all of this is about, atonement. What, what, this is about us. These men who come into the presence of the Lord and they carry in their hands animals that were to represent sacrifice and atonement so the people of God could have fellowship with God. And what are they doing? They're taking them to themselves and they're going and making a roast for their family. These men... who who are dressed to represent the holiness of God, and they come in and they put on their robes like a uniform, and it's just another day of work. They are to represent the Lord, and they've turned the temple of the Lord into a brothel. And they hold in their hands the holy things of God and over and over commit sin against God to the point that their ears will not let them hear the rebuke of their Father. And there is a warning here for us. Handling the things of God with no reverence for God. That's that's a scary thing. And many of us have in our hands right now the things of God. We have the pages of Scripture right before us. And we we hold the things of God. We come in here week after week and we pray as acts of God. We sing to the Lord as service and worship to the Lord. And we hold in our hands the holy things of God. And I wonder today if there was any sense of reverence in your heart. Do you realize you can just go through the motions week after week with the holy things of God, with no reverence to God, to the point when the Word of God is preached, you don't even hear it. Just like Eli's sons are rebuked here. You don't even hear it. You're just going through the motions. And you've gone through the motions so many times, you don't hear the Word of God. And every Bible study, and every sermon, and every worship service, what is going on in your heart as before you is the Lord Almighty in the Gospel, in the church, in the people of God, in the worship. It's right here before you. And you just go through the motions and you never hear from God. You never respond to the Word of God. I want to ask yourself a question today. When is the last time you repented of something? I'm going to, somebody thought, oh, you're going to finish? No. When is the last time that you repented? Where you said, the word of God says this, I can't do this anymore and I'm going to change. When is the last time that you found yourself coasting as a Christian and you said, I can't coast anymore? 
I can't coast. I'm going to be on mission for Christ. And you stopped and you made changes in your family. The way you did things as a family. When is the last time that you repented of something, you turned from something, that tells you if you're really hearing the Word of God. Or if you're just going through the motions in the presence of God. When is the last time that you have changed something in your life? Because Israel was guilty of empty pagan idolatry here. And we can be guilty of the same thing here this morning. And the pagan idol has your first and last name so often. Because you're not hearing the Word of God and being changed by it. Not responding to the Spirit of God. And your heart can be so hard that that the Word of God is just background noise. But notice verse 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord. Here's one who has reverence for the Lord. Here is one growing in the presence of the Lord. This is one who is growing even, notice the text says, also with man. Here is one who, who will stand before the people of God and stand before the Lord. He will be a worthy, full of worth mediator. Notice in verse 27 through 28, there's this prophet that shows up. And he doesn't have a name because he's not the prophet of the Lord that we'll see in 1 Samuel. He's a no-name prophet. And he comes to Eli and says, I have a word from the Lord for you. You know, when God delivered Israel from Egypt, he set his people apart to himself to be holy in the world. And to make sure he did that, he set up a priesthood. A priest that, a priest that was, were to, to declare that God is holy and there is to be no sin before the Lord and in His presence. And to do so, they offered incense. They offered sacrifice. They represented the twelve tribes of Israel before the Lord. That is what you're supposed to be doing, Eli. That is the word of the Lord to you. That is your purpose, and that is your children's purpose. But verse 29, notice, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings? The word scorn here means to kick. You are a priest of the Lord, and it is as if when you walk into the temple, you see the firstborn lamb people have brought to offer the Lord, and you just kick it out of the way. What's a lamb doing in here? Why are there animals in here? Let's get this place cleaned up. This is you, you kick against the sacrifices. The sacrifices are actually a hindrance to your job, is what he says here. It's a hindrance to your son. They can't, they, they, they are pushing the sacrifices out of the way so they can do what they want to. And notice the offerings that I command it for my dwelling. This is so the people of God can live with me. And you honor your sons above me. And that is his sin. He fills his sons full of worth and not the Lord's name full of worth. He gives his sons glory and not God. But notice how he's described here. By fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Now the word fattening is very closely related to the word glory. And the word glory means weight. And what he says is you are to fill my name full of weight in the temple. People are to come into my presence and say God is weighty. There's gravitas with God. 
His glory is to fill the temple. And what you're doing is you're filling your belly. You're filling your belly with meat. And you are the one who is full of roast when I'm supposed to be full of glory in the temple. You have made yourself literally fat or weighty on your own glory. You have said, God is empty, but I'm going to be full on what I want, my appetites. And you have created this culture for your sons in the temple. And then verse 30, Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that your house, your people, and your father's house should go in and out before me. That's very important. They should live before me. They should go in and out of my presence. They should be allowed to do that as priest. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. God literally says this, God forbid. I forbid it. Far be it from me. For those who honor me, they fill my name full of weight. I will honor. I will fill their role full of weight. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Literally, they shall be empty. They shall be useless. And behold, the days are coming where I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be any old man in your house. And literally, he says here, strength, it is the word for arm. He says, you have rendered my name useless. I'm going to cut off your arms and make you useless. You are a useless priest who's trained his sons to be useless before me. I'm going to literally make you useless because you have not filled my house and my role full of glory and full of meaning. The same thing for us. For our lives to be full of worth and use, they must be full, glutted with the glory of God. Ask yourself the question today, what gives your life meaning? Not what you're supposed to say at church. But if you just stopped, and you said, when I wake up in the morning, this is what I'm going to fill my life with. Well, what do you fill your life with? What are your days full of doing? What really gives you meaning? Is it the Lord? Or is it like Eli and his sons, the Lord is the afterthought? No, this really gives me meaning. My kids really give me meaning. My job really gives me meaning. The way that we recreate really gives my life meaning. I work all week long to get to this point because nothing has meaning until Saturday when we're at the lake. I work all, all week long because nothing has meaning until I get to this point where we're at the ball game. And I work and I slave to get to this point. What fills your life full of meaning? And if it is not the glory of God, your life is meaningless. And it is worthless. Because at the end of the day, the glory of God is all that matters. Is it your identity in Christ that gives you meaning at all times? No matter where I am or what I'm doing, Jesus died for my sins. I've been adopted into the family of God. God is my Father through Jesus. I have an eternal kingdom. And it is no, no matter where I am and no matter what time during the week, my life is full of glory because it's full of the gospel. And I can remind myself at all times, good, bad, 
indifferent. The Gospel is true. And my life is full of glory because of the Gospel. What do you fill your life with me with? What do you fill your life with? Is it to leverage everything to the glory of God, the mission of Christ, or are you glutted? Are you fat and useless before God on the desires of your own heart? I'm going to use all this for myself. I'm going to, I'm going to go after what I want in the moment. Disregard God. Have you fattened yourself on your own gl glory? Notice verse 32, he describes a worthless religion. Then in distress, you will look with an envious eye. I'm going to kick you out of the house. And then you're going to look in the house and there's going to be prosperity. You'll be kicked out of the tabernacle, kicked out of the temple. But my promises will move on. I will take care of Israel. And there will be prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house. I'm going to cut your people off. To the point they don't even exist anymore. And the only one of you I shall cut off from my... The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out with grief in his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Isn't that a little cruel, God? You're going to wipe out his family legacy except for one person. And that one person is going to weep their eyes out. That, that's what God, I'm going to kick you out of the tabernacle, out of the temple, and your lineage will no longer serve here. Verse 34. And this shall come upon your house, that your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart, in my mind. He will be, notice this priest, will be full of my glory. He won't be empty. He will be full of my glory and do what he is supposed to do. And he shall go in and out before the anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a place, a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, please put, put me in one of the priest's place that I may eat a morsel of bread. I'm going to totally kick you out. I'm going to take this roll from you to the point that you're a beggar on the street. Remember Hannah's song? The rich will become poor, begging on the street. Who was she singing about? The priests who were making the temple abomination. They will be beggars on the street. Their role will be totally taken away. They will be useless. And, and that we see this happen in Samuel. There will be a massacre of all the priests, including Eli's family. And then we see later on in the story, Solomon totally bans Eli's family from the priesthood. And we'll see in just a few chapters, Hophni and Phinehas, they die. And when they die, Eli says, it's going to happen. God's going to mark us off from the face of the earth and from the temple. And throughout, we keep seeing this warning of empty religion. They were empty. They were useless. And on the day of judgment, their empty religion will be useless. They, they stand before God totally guilty. And God's going to prove that it was all empty. Imagine being cast out of the temple. Imagine being judged by God when you were the very one holding the things of God. 
You held fellowship with God in your hands in the sacrifice. You lit the lampstand and the incense and, and waved it up to God as supposed to be a sweet-smelling aroma. You, you lugged in the bulls. You brought in the lambs. And you put them on the altar and you cut their throat and you took their blood and you sprinkled them on the people of God that was to represent fellowship. And now you're being judged by God as the one who held empty things in their hands. All of it was empty. And I want to ask you today, how much of your religion is empty? How much of what you do is just going through the motions and it's empty? It has nothing to do with Jesus today. And then imagine being judged by God after experiencing all of this. On the day of judgment, you stand before a Jesus who you taught kids in Awana to love and follow, but you never followed him. How scary would that be? That you would stand before God on the last day, a God that you sing praise and worship to, but you never fell before him in trust and reliance upon him. And you came so close, but you were so far away. These men, they smelled. Their eyes burned at times from the smoke from the altar. And they were so close, but they didn't see God. They filled their role with a glory for themselves. But notice, there's hope. There's hope. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Again, this is mentioned throughout. We have horrible, useless, worthless priests. Oh, but we have Samuel. And Samuel, there's hope. Because he's ministering before the Lord. He is filling this task full of meaning. And, and notice, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no frequent vision. Meaning, that there were very few prophets, if any. And no one was speaking the word of the Lord, correcting the people of the Lord. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow old and dim so that he could not see, he was lying in his own place. Now, there's a comparison here. Samuel, young, vibrant lad, growing up in the presence of the Lord, serving the Lord. And Eli, he's old, decrepit, laying down, can't even get out of bed. But there's Samuel. There's hope. There's hope. And notice, verse 3, the lamp of God, which represented the presence of God with Israel, that this lamp, the menorah, it had not gone out, and Samuel was lying in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. The ark represented the presence of God. God's covenant was held there. It is the presence of the Lord. And so you, you, you have this old, beaten-down priest who can't see. The lamp of God has not yet gone out, but it is flickering. It is about to go out. And notice Samuel is lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark is. There is one who is in the very presence of God. And he is growing. And he is full of stature. And while the text says there is no word from the Lord, there is a word from the Lord. And it's in the little prophet boy. Even though he's not making a lot of noise, 
He is the vision the people need of a prophet priest who will live and who will grow and who will intercede before the Lord for the people of God. Samuel is a prophet first and foremost, as we'll see throughout the rest of the book. Samuel will be a prophet who declares the word of the Lord. But he begins his prophetic ministry by giving us a picture of a good priest. He's not a priest, but he gives us a picture of the priest the people of God need. And think about this at this moment. Samuel hasn't been making a lot of noise. He's a little baby. Now he's a boy. He's being trained. He's behind the scenes. He's getting up every morning, reading the Torah, serving Eli. Come on, let me help you get out of bed. Walking around with Eli, learning what the priests do, learning the Word of God. He's not being interviewed by Judaism today. He's not the next rising star in the prophetic world. He's just a little boy. Just a little boy in the temple. What's making all the headlines are the corrupt leaders. The word around town, the tabloids, Eli's sons, can you believe what they've done now? And then behind the scenes is the little prophet priest boy. And he's painting a picture of what we saw in verse 35. In verse 35, we see the hope of Israel, a faithful priest, full of the glory of God, who will build the house of God, and it will not fade away. And what Samuel is calling us to do here is remember behind the scenes, there is always a prophet priest who is king who is pleading our cause. Behind the scenes. You look at your life right now, You look at the world. You look at the sin in your own hearts. And you want to despair, just like you look at Israel. You would say, like Israel, you do what is right in your own eyes. And then you tack God on. I have good news for you today. There is one behind the scenes named Jesus, who is a prophet, who is your priest, who is the king you need. And for those of us who would say here today, I've stolen from God. God gave me this life 41 years now. About to be 42. Is that right? 42. And I've wasted it. Last week, 15,250 days. Maybe you're here today and that's you and you say, what have I done for Jesus? I've thought every day was for me. Well, there's one who did not steal from God. There is one who every breath, every feeling, contracting of his lungs was full of the glory of God. When he would get to the end of his life, he would say, I've glorified you. Now glorify me. I've filled your name full of meaning. Now fill my life full of the meaning of what I was sent. Fill this full of glory. And he lived every life full, every, every day of life full of glory. And he promises today when you believe in him, he will trade your useless, worthless life for his life full of glory before God. Do you get that? That is great news. That is great news. Last night we were watching a baseball game and one of my sons said, can you ever get back to hitting a thousand again? 
And I thought in my mind, that is stupid. But I didn't say that. Because I was a good father. And I said, let me tell you about the gospel. No, you can't ever get back to a thousand once you've gotten out. Because a thousand, batting a thousand is perfection. And it's the same thing before God. Once you've sinned, you can't get back to perfection. And if you're here today and you've sinned, you can't get back to perfection. And you've stolen from God. But there's one who never stole from God. And his life was perfectly full of glory. And what he will do when you believe in him is he will give you your life. It is as though you never sinned. It is as though you always batted a thousand. It is as though you always were perfect before God. And there is one who lives and breathes and he holds up before God in the presence of God his perfect life for you. But Jesus was also a priest who got kicked out of the house of God for you. Think about Eli's sons. They're going to be discarded on a trash heap. What happened to Jesus at Golgotha? He was the only one who deserved to be in the presence of God, and yet he was forsaken by God. He was considered scum of the earth by God, worthless. And unlike Eli, this poor, pathetic father who overlooks the sin of his son, God has not overlooked your sin. It is the will of God that he would crush the son for you. That he would punish the son for you. As we read of the sons of Eli, it was God's will that they die. It was God's will that Jesus die for you. And that is the priest who is living before God for you right now. Right now. You see, we're all worthless priests. We've all wasted our life. Many of us here today, this is full of empty religion. But there is one full of glory. His life and His death for you that He will give to you. And you begin to live for Him and this life is no longer worthless or useless. The priest in Cordova, Peru, they visit four times a year. And they pull up and I've seen it happen. They pull up in little four-wheel drive Toyota trucks. They have barrels of wine and boxes of bread in the back. And they go over to this empty temple. They open the doors. And the people come in and they offer money and crops and take part in mass that is empty and it's meaningless. Just like their Jesus is hollow. And yet we have a better high priest who's thrown open the doors of heaven at all times. And it's constantly interceding for us. And like Samuel, he will adopt us into his kingdom. Adopt us into the family to serve before him as a kingdom of priests. As Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't have to travel around. Right now, he is your priest before God. And it continues forever. See, I know this, it's not just ancient pagan temple worshipers in the Andes mountains whose religion can be empty. It's Southern Baptists who, who can show up here week after week and this be empty, hollow. Today your parenting may be more like Eli's than Hannah's. You're guilty of overlooking sin, you may be like Hophni and Phineas, and you've wasted your life. You've stolen from God. 
You may be like Israel where the lampstand is going out and you're wondering if you'll ever hear from God again. Well, you have, and his name is Jesus. And your priest isn't hollow. He's interceding for you right now. If you would trust in him and believe in him and hope in him today. Let's pray.